Let's pray. Holy Father, you have freely given us your grace, your love, all for us in Christ Jesus. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, guide us into ever greater knowledge and love of what you have so freely given. In Jesus' name, amen. So in Paul's letter to the Corinthians, he's been addressing a lot of questions, a lot of topics, a lot of issues. And we've covered so far, so, so, four so far, Christian unity, God's wisdom versus our pride, sexual immorality, and marriage and divorce. In each of these topics, he not only says what God has said, but he also then gives the principles by which we are to live. And in each and every case, he goes back to the gospel. Because it is the gospel that gives us life. It is the gospel that is the narrow road. Because on one side of that road, you can find legalism or being legalistic. And the other side is anything goes. But Paul keeps going back to the gospel, the narrow road. So you might be wondering, so what do I mean by legalism or being legalistic? Well, how many of you grow up in households that couldn't play cards? Any of you? Or go dancing? Or certainly a certain type of dancing? Or you couldn't go to movies? Or things of that nature? That is legalistic. It is about well, as a Christian, you got to follow the rules exactly. And if you don't follow the rules, you're not a Christian. Okay? That's legalism. And sometimes it becomes moralism. You know? That it's just about morality. Christianity is just about being a good moral person. If you say, the only thing I try to do is follow the Ten Commandments, Believe it or not, you're on the legalistic, moralistic side. Now, we find that particular particular legalism or moralism, you can find that in certain churches nowadays. Certainly you had that with fundamentalism, but it even morphed its way into the moral majority. Do you remember the moral majority? Right? That's, there's no gospel there, right? It's just all about, here's how you have to behave. There's no gospel present. The problem is, once you put people under that yoke, they want to rebel. And they want to rebel this way. They want to rebel to to nothing at all. To anything goes. To, I can do whatever I want, as long as I say I believe in Jesus. I can do whatever I want. The fancy term, and it's on the screen, I know some of you are wondering, antinomianism. That's the fancy term that says against the law, that there is no law. I don't have to obey anything whatsoever. And by the way, 
Which side of the path do you think our culture is on right now? Anything goes, right? But that's how it's shifted, right? The pendulum swings back and forth, back and forth. But Paul says, it is the narrow road. It is the gospel road that we are to follow. So, in this gospel road, we actually find two things. We find liberty. We have Christian liberty, and we find love. The responsibility of love. And that's really the theme for this message, but also for chapters 8 through 14 of 1 Corinthians. It is Christian liberty and love. Christian liberty says you are free in Christ. Christian love says you have the responsibility of serving Jesus and your neighbor. So it is the narrow road of Christian liberty and the responsibility of love. Martin Luther put it this way. He said, a Christian man is the most free Lord of all and subject to none. A Christian man is the most dutiful servant of all and subject to everyone. When you are saved by Christ Jesus and the gospel, you are truly free and subject to none. And because you are saved by Jesus Christ and His gospel and the love of Christ Jesus, you are subject to everyone. That's the Christian life. That's the narrow road. Are you following me? Getting this? Okay. So today, just like we've done in this whole series, we're going to keep it really simple. Doesn't mean it's simplistic, but it is simple as the message. Use your love and knowledge of God to serve others. Use your love and knowledge of God to serve others. So now with that, let's go to the text. 1 Corinthians chapter 8, starting verse 1. Now, concerning food offered to idols, we all know that all of us possess knowledge. This knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. If anyone imagines that he knows something, he does not yet know as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, he is known by God. So here's the context. Remember, we're in Corinth, and there's a lot of temples there. And at those temples, they would have sacrifices to their gods or goddesses. And so this was kind of a family affair. At certain times, you would bring your whole family, you would bring some meat, and it would be sacrificed by the priest, so all offered up to that god or goddess. And some of the meat was then burnt on the altar, some meat was given to the priest, and then the rest was given back to you. And so you could take this meat and you could go home and have a festival or you can invite friends to join you at this large meal. Now, you might be thinking, okay, well, so what does that have to do with me? Right? Well, let's put it this way. Let's say you have a friend who's Hindu. Would you eat a meal 
that has been sacrificed to a Hindu god. Your neighbor comes and says, hey, we just got back from the temple. We sacrificed the animal. We're going to have a really good festival. Uh, We're inviting all of the neighbors. Come on over. And you know that it's been sacrificed to the Hindu god. Now, you might think, well, this is a little far-fetched, isn't it? But what if you go into a restaurant and they have all of these, you know, little areas where they've got an idol there of a deity or something like that, and maybe the happy Buddha, right? And in that particular restaurant, you're supposed to rub the belly of the Buddha, right? Do you go in? And and you know that these people are devout and they pray to their deity before they serve you the food. Do you go into that restaurant and eat that food? That's the principle at hand. That's the question at hand. So the Corinthians, those who were strong in their faith, knows they knew that there was no such thing as a true living idol. And that idol can't contaminate food. So those who were strong in their faith, they ate sacrificed meat. As a matter of fact, it was cheaper sometimes to get the meat at the temple rather than at the meat market. So there's some economics at play too. But that's the situation. And so they, those who are strong in faith had this knowledge. And Paul says, your knowledge was lacking. Your knowledge was lacking. He seems to be quoting a letter that they had sent to him. And he quotes, all of us possess knowledge. And basically, there's pride in there. They were puffed up with how good their knowledge was. Do you ever meet somebody who's so religious, they go on and on and on and on, and you think, ah, really? Calm down. Calm down. I'm not impressed. What they were lacking in their knowledge was actually love. That's what they were lacking. Paul is saying that true knowledge comes from knowing and loving God. That's where the true knowledge comes in. See, how do we know the love of God? We know the love of God and we go back to the gospel. We go back to the cross of Christ Jesus. See, there's something different about knowing about the cross of Christ and knowing the cross of Christ, knowing the love of God. You see, John wrote this in his letter, 1 John. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. This is the love, the knowledge of love too, that is missing from the Corinthians. It does not matter how good your doctrine is, if you lack the primary doctrine of love, And the love of God, you're nothing. This is why Paul said to them, I want to know nothing among you. He wrote this to the Corinthians. 
I want to know nothing among you except Christ and Him crucified. I want to know the love of God for you in Christ Jesus. That's the only thing I really want to know among you. So the Corinthians had knowledge, they had doctrine, but they were not applying it with love. You see, love is important and knowledge is important. You have to have both things. The issue with the Corinthians is they had knowledge but not love. Now, our day and age is just the exact opposite. There's a lot of love, or at least so-called love, right? There's a lot of so-called love out there, but people are starving for the knowledge of God. So if you take a look at our mission statement, what does it say? To grow in the love and knowledge of Jesus. To grow alive, deep, and bold in the love and knowledge of Jesus. Those two things must go hand in hand. If you have one without the other, you're going to fall on either side of that narrow path. So, he says, you're lacking love. And then he says, this is the correct knowledge to have. Going on with our text, starting in verse 4. Therefore, as to eating of foods offered to idols, we know that an idol has no real existence and that there is no God but one. For although there may be so-called gods in heaven or in, on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords. So here's the question. Are there many lowercase gods and lords throughout the world? Yeah, there are. People worship many gods and lords, and they have a lot of idols, things that represent that God or that Lord. So what is an idol? An idol is something that you, in which you trust more than God. And some of you may have idols yourselves. You may have grown up with, you know, days gone by, right? Long time ago, the lucky rabbit's foot. That's an idol. How about a four-leaf clover? Or you've got certain things that, man, it's just, this is my lucky charm. That is an idol. Now, there are other idols, too, that actually do represent particular deities. And again, you can find those all over the place. So a couple of years, uh, probably four years ago, there was a woman who called up and she wanted to donate some Kachina dolls. Now, I didn't grow up in the Southwest here. I had no idea what they are. She said they were very valuable, you know, like $1,000 each. I said, okay, great, you know, donate them and we'll sell them. Well, then I got them. And I think there were three of them, and these various Indian figures. And if you don't know what a Kachina doll is, it is a doll that rep represents a deity, a spirit of some sort, or a personal ancestor. And this is from the Hopi Indians. Okay? So, I did some research. I found out what those dolls were. We were storming in the Bible study room because I thought there were just dolls. And I was like, no, this is blasphemous. 
Right? Because these are truly idols. Now, was I afraid of them? No, because they're not real, because we have no fear of them. But I knew now what they represented, and I did not want them in the church whatsoever. And so I gave them the colors on consignment, and they sold them, and they were only like 30 to $50 each. So, but there are idols all over the place. Are they real? No. We need not have any fear of them. But what does God say about idols? Well, actually, if you go to the Ten Commandments, the First Commandments, First Commandment, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth, you shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I am the Lord your God. So there's a very clear statement about idolatry, isn't there? But does God emphasize this? Well, yeah, again and again. As a matter of fact, in our study in Revelation, we were cross-referencing something from Isaiah chapter 44. And it worked so perfectly for this that I thought, well, let's have that be the reading. So Isaiah chapter 44. And I'm going to read actually 6 through 11. Thus says the Lord, the King of Israel and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first and the last. Besides me, there is no God who is like me. Let him proclaim it. Let him declare and set before me since I was appointed an ancient people. Since I appointed an ancient people. Let them declare what is to come and what will happen. Fear not, nor be afraid. Have I not told you from of old and declared it? And you are my witnesses. Is there a God besides me? There is no rock, I know not any. All who fashion idols are nothing, and the things they delight in do not profit. Their witnesses neither see nor know, that they may be put to shame. Who fashions a god or casts an idol that is profitable for nothing? Behold, all his companions shall be put to shame, and the craftsmen are only human. Let them all assemble. Let them stand forth. They shall be terrified. They shall all be put to shame. So is there any other God? No, there is but one God. And the reason we cross-reference this, by the way, is because of this one phrase, I am the first and the last. Now, in the Old Testament, that was Yahweh speaking, right? God of Israel, Yahweh speaking, I am the first and the last. But you know what? Jesus said the exact same thing. Three times in the book of Revelation, Revelation 1, 17, but he laid his right hand on me saying, fear not, I am the first and the last. 2, 8, and to the angel of the church of Smyrna write the words of the first and the last the one who died and came to life. And then finally at the end, 22, 
I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. So isn't this interesting? From the Old Testament, we see that Yahweh is God, the first and the last. And now Jesus used the exact same language to describe who He is, the first and the last. And this simply confirms what Paul writes. Paul writes this. Yet for us there is one God, the Father, from whom all things are all things, and for whom we exist. And there is one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom all things are all things, and through whom we exist. God the Father created everything for His glory. And all things exist through Him. There's one Lord, Jesus Christ. And all things were created through Him for His glory. So is Jesus God? Yes. There is one God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And note, and, and the reason why he says God and Lord is because there's a parallelism to what he wrote about the small gods and small lords. He says, no, there's one God, one Lord. And God the Son has the exact same power and might. The ability to create is God the Father. And if you really want to cross-reference that in the note, I said read John chapter 1, uh, Gospel of John chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. Colossians chapter 1, verse 16. For by Him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and him in him all things hold together. This is the knowledge that you and I are to have about God. God the Father, God the Son. One God. There is no other God. And all idols are nothing. So we have love. And we know who God is. He says, now there's a problem, Corinthians. There's one other thing that you're lacking here. He says, however, not all possess this knowledge. But some, through former association with idols, eat food as really offered to an idol. And their conscience, being weak, is defiled. Food will not commend us to God. We are no worse off if we do not eat, and no better off if we do. But take care that this right of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. Now, this section might be a little confusing to our ears because we're not really used to talking about food offered to idols. But let me give you an example that might help clarify it. And the example is this. As are Christians free to drink alcohol? Yes, we are. 
As a matter of fact, wine is considered a blessing by God. Now, are Christians to get drunk? No. There's the constraint, right? So you have liberty to have wine, just don't get drunk. Okay, so you are free, right? Now, let's apply this. But what if you have a friend who is an alcoholic or a recovering alcoholic? And you invite them over to your house. Say, you know, we're, we're, I'm going to cook a steak. We're going to have a really good steak. And I've been saving this bottle of wine. Now, I know you don't drink, but we're just going to have it, okay? Do you do that? Why not? You're not supporting your brother. It's not loving, is it? That you might, by chance, cause them to stumble and fall. In the same way, I wouldn't go and take a recovering alcoholic to a bar. I just wouldn't do that. Not because it makes me any better, but because I have the love and knowledge of God, and so I use it to serve my neighbor. That's what Paul is getting at here. That's the principle. And the key verse is this. But take care that this right of yours, this liberty that you have, does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. But it's more than just a stumbling block. It's not just as if they just little trip and fall. See, it is as if you destroyed and wounded them. And thus you have sinned against Christ Jesus himself. And this is what Paul writes here. I'm going to read verse 10 through 13. For if anyone sees you have knowledge eating in an idol's temple, will he not be encouraged, if his conscience is weak, to eat food offered to idols? And so by your knowledge, this weak person is destroyed, the brother for whom Christ died. Thus, sinning against your brother and wounding their conscience when it is weak, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat, lest I make my brother stumble. You have liberty as a follower of Christ Jesus. But you have to use that liberty in the service of others, lest they do fall lest they stumble. You know, <laughs> by the way, does it, is, is this a statement of Paul saying that he's going to become a vegetarian or a vegan? No, it's not, is it? He's not going to eat meat in front of the other brother lest they stumble or fall, lest they are lured back into idol worship, things that ultimately will destroy them. Again, the example of... Uh, you know, being loving to someone who's an alcoholic or recovering alcoholic. You can see the principle clearly at stake here. And what Paul, he, he sums this up later in chapter 10. He says, let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. You see, Christian love, knowledge and love, is serving your neighbor. Both in deed, right? By what you do. So you give them rides. You might cook food for them. You might um, do errands for them. Right? All of that stuff. 
I mean, that's what we're going to do on Make a Difference Day. It is about loving our neighbor, those in need. But it goes more than that. It goes by the example you also give. By what you do and don't do. See, paraphrasing Charles Spurgeon, he said, the world doesn't read the Bible, but they read Christians. So we are to be an example. It's not just the pastor, okay? It's not just me who's supposed to be the example. We all are to be the example. So ladies, you have the wonderful example to be for your sister, your mother, your niece, your nieces, all of those. Your daughters. You have that opportunity to be example. Men, you have the opportunity to be the example for your fathers, sons, grandsons, your, your nephews. We are all to be that example. Now, this is not a burden. It shouldn't be a burden because we are on the narrow path. We have the freedom, the liberty of Christ Jesus. We also have the responsibility of love in Christ Jesus. This is what Paul is getting at here. So going back to the quote from Luther, I think it might make a little more depth and sense now here, have a little more depth. A Christian man is the most free Lord of all and subject to none. A Christian man is the most dutiful servant of all and subject to everyone. So I've got three questions for you. In what way do you need to grow in the love of God? The knowledge of God. And in what ways will you practice being an example for others? Not a stumbling block. Brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus, this is the gospel road that we travel. It is one of great joy. And all the people said, Amen. Amen. 